There are a lot of people who consider their fees low, but here's a guy who's charging, according to him, 60 to 80% lower than any of the full service competition. How does he run his practice without growing broke? Let's talk about low fee financial advisors. Today I have Paul Berry, CEO of Middle Street Capital. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. You betcha. So, Paul, tell me about your current practice. I work with about 55 families and individuals. Couple um, within that have a, a couple of nonprofits endowments. Uh, run about sixty million dollars AUM, and um, have had a career in in uh, the starting off with Merrill Lynch twenty. One years at Merrill Lynch and a couple more at Wells Fargo. So a career on the wirehouse side and about six or seven years uh, running Middle Street uh, Capital and in, in, on the RAA side as an independent, fully independent, uh, no broker dealer affiliation and full, full RIA. Yep. Why did you start a firm with this kind of a low fee philosophy? Sure. And, and just to clarify, so our, our fee structure is... Uh, uh, an AOM-based uh, uh, billing and fees, and we charge um, 50 basis points up to 2 million. So pretty traditional wealth management model, but you know at least half of what our competition charges uh, for similar sized accounts. And over 2 million, we're charging 25 basis points for dollars above that. So, um, so again, back to your comment about 60 to 80%, we can get into the the details there about 60 to 80% lower than what we see in, in the marketplace right now competitively. So that's our fee. And, uh, you know, as to why uh, I would just say, you know, this has been an evolution for me personally, where I really did come up in, in the uh, traditional, you know, 1990s, 2000s brokerage world where I, uh, you know, built a practice, a lot of cold calling, a lot out there, you know, getting out there and trying to open accounts and, Really, you know, really had fun with it and did really well, I think, with building a nice little practice. But in the back of my mind, as as my career progressed and as I became a little more successful, I just had this gnaw, gnawing feeling about, you know, the, the, the fee subject. And of course, we'd had a lot of pressure at that time from companies like Fidelity and Vanguard and Vanguard in particular. And we can talk about Fidelity and where they fit into this as well. Um, you know, coming in with this lower fee proposition, particularly on the index fund side, of things. And so it had always really been in the back of my mind. And part of the story was that I noticed at Merrill Lynch in particular, um, after 2008, there was a real problem with brokers and advisors bringing on organic new assets, new clients. We were really living off of the clients that we'd had. And we started to run into marketing issues, not just at Merrill, but within the industry where growth really didn't exist in the old way where you'd go out and meet someone, have them bring in their, their accounts and their rollovers, as I saw it. I mean, we were talking low single digit organic growth or negative growth year over year in the late 2000s. And to me, that was a sign that, that investors were starting to really reject higher fees. And you know that was a marketing issue for me. So I feel great about charging low fees and, and feel that it's the number one issue that you know most investors are going to run into when they deal with a full service advisor. I mean, I think if I approached like most advisors, they would say, I can't run a firm on 50 basis points a year. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I hear it all the time. And, and I think there's a disconnect between uh, the industry and this this subject about you know how you run a profitable firm how much we should make as as advisors. Um, so there's a, a couple layers there, but the fact is, you know, we've proven that you can run 
you know, you can do the math at $60 million um, with a blended fee. You know, we have several clients over, over two to $3 million that we blend our fee down. But even there, you know, running a $3 million account for $12,000 a year, you know, we, we make money on that account. I mean, we do everything that any other full service firm can do from financial planning to, you know, full service advice on, we're starting to get into what we can do with estate planning and things like that. And yet we're able to still be, you know, I feel at, at, at our, at our level, very profitable. So I, I would challenge the idea that, that advisors can't do it because we're doing it. Um, and I think the math speaks for itself. If you're out there doing 50 basis points and all you're doing is $50,000 or $100,000 accounts, and we don't have an account minimum, by the way, we'll literally talk to anybody because we, we can honestly subsidize that time with our wealthier clients. So I guess I would respond in two ways. One is that we're showing that we can do it at that price point and that going forward, because of the, the type of clients that will be out there that have you know, two, three, four million dollars and really need advice, it, they're going to reject 1% across the board once they're aware that there are other solutions. And so it's not a question of whether you can be profitable or not. It's that I believe that most firms are going to need to get there and figure out how to do one thing, which is control their overhead. And that's what we do. We understand, you know, using current, I'll, I'll be the first person to say that 10, 15 years ago, we, we couldn't do this. We didn't have, I think, the the sophistication of the custodians like Schwab or Fidelity available to us for essentially free, and including some of the the, the current you know financial planning and and uh, reporting software that's also you know a lot more inexpensive today than it used to be. So, and then we don't need trading floors or research departments or all the you know commercial real estate overhead that you see with pretty much ninety percent of our competition. Um, so, I think that's a long answer to. The, the idea that, you know, how do we do it? Uh, it? Not only can you do it pretty easily running, you know, as long as you think, have a mindset as a business owner to control overhead and to understand how, you know, essentially compensation should work within that structure. I would say most advisors are going to need to really rethink how they're charging if they want to grow in, in the way that we're growing. How many people do you have working for you? Well, right now it's just me and I have uh, some support staff that I use part-time. And so when I say we, I had a business partner and we were running it together and I bought them out over the last couple of years. So you made an interesting comment about your wealthier clients subsidizing the smaller clients. Is that because the smaller clients are less profitable? Sure. We, I mean, if someone comes in with $200,000, we're charging them $1,000 a year. So that that won't pay the bills in a in a significant way. It may for a, a you know a younger advisor that need that can spend a couple of years eating ramen noodles and building a practice. Later on, though, they're going to need to tap into this sort of sweet spot of about a million to three million dollars of AUM to then kind of drive drive the revenue that you need. But we we're very clear that we will not only talk to anyone that is interested, but also try to help help them. And that includes setting accounts up, funding them. It's typically right now referrals to, you know, children or grandchildren of current clients that we'll work with, but we'll talk with anyone. We really feel our message is that important. So, um, but, and, and so that to answer your question, the size, right. I could, we couldn't do that really, to be honest, if, if we didn't have larger clients that sort of paid more for the services they get. Um, 
if someone's paying you a thousand dollars a year, that's probably just paying for the advisor's time. If it's a low maintenance client, let's say the advisor's time bills out at like two fifty an hour. That's four hours of work throughout the year. So that's just paying for the advisor's time, but it's not paying for any of the other resources that are used to service that account, right? Well, I think it pays it pays for whatever they would need, I guess, to, if, if that's what you're asking. Um, you know, I had a case recently where it was uh, the daughter of a client and I spent, I mean, we must have spent 10 to 12 hours on her accounts. And now this is a, a large client. So it was nice all around for everyone to, mm-hmm. you know, to, or for, for them to, to send her my way because she had a lot of re- really interesting questions and, and, um, she's 24 years old and, and it was, it was someone who was sort of coming into this, these subjects. So I, I literally, you know, dropped everything and treated her as if she were a seven figure client. And, um, and so in terms of, I don't personally don't measure the hours in that sense. I, I, I evaluate um, the referral and, and who and how I can help maybe, and then just go from there. But again, you know, that I'm lucky, I think, in the sense that we've built a, a practice that can support that model. I, I wouldn't suggest that to someone brand new in the business. I mean, they're going to, but they're, you know, new, newer advisors and low, low and flat fee, of course, as you know, are popping up everywhere. And the number one job for all of them is to bring on new clients. And so I, I wouldn't suggest that you, they talk to or try to help every single person out there, but um, we certainly try. I would think that if a small portfolio came in and they were very demanding of your time, then that I could see where that would be a little bit problematic for the overall profitability of the, of the relationship. And you couldn't do that too much. That you're hundred percent right. And I, and I hopefully have a pretty good radar for that nowadays. Um, And so, but no, certainly with that policy I've had, you know, a couple situations where it just wasn't the right fit. And and I would say that, uh, you know, I have large prospects that I've met with that are, you know, four or $5 million situations that isn't the right fit either, typically related to either personality style or their, their expectations. But, you know, I, I'm not going to just bring on anyone as a client. Um, and so it's a case by case basis, I think. And it's up to the, it's up to me to figure out wh- where to put that effort. Sure. What do people say generally when you tell them you charge 50 basis points, them knowing that the rest of the industry charges 1%? Right. Is anybody tra- skeptical? I mean, other than the obvious like jubilation over it, is anybody skeptical? Does anybody kind of say, well, what kind of service are you providing? How can you do that? Is this a degraded service if it's, you know, a lower fee? Of course. Yeah. Great, great question. And I would answer that with a question of, okay, are we talking about advisors or potential clients or both? And, you know, and, and I get, I get really interesting response from other advisors and brokers that, that, um, you know, will consistently say, you know, kind of look at me and like, yep, I know, we know, we know, because we're talking about fee for value or our, you know, is wall street overcharging. And very rarely nowadays do I get someone who's just all in on the idea that these fees are absolutely worth it all the time. What'll happen is they'll say, you know, there'll be conversations about what you're asking, which is what do you deliver and how about that value? Well, you know, that's great for you if you're just doing index fund portfolios, but what about us? We're doing full service financial planning. 
Well, so do we. We we and again, part of our model here, and I've very con consistently getting advice from other people to say, well, you should charge extra for financial planning. Do that that fifty basis point thing, but charge extra. And I won't do it because I feel that number one, it's simple. Clients understand it and appreciate it. And I simply, I have a phrase where I say to a client, when I bring them on board, I say, if you have a dollar associated with it, pick the phone up and call it. Call me if you have a question. I don't care what it is. I will try to help you. And I don't want to put any sort of caveats around that. Now, again, that may in certain situations, particularly when, when there's that first six months in the relationship, it does take a lot of time and energy. But then over, if I do it correctly over years, the amount of time that you need to work with clients that pay you the same amount, by the way, uh, really diminishes. Um, so I'm in terms of what we deliver, I, I say we absolutely bring to the table everything that anyone else can for this fee. Uh, but I get that question a lot. You know, the Walmart or the dollar store, fine. You know, Vanguard has built 10, a $10 trillion asset management empire based on this concept, which is, you know, efficient market theory, um, you know, set up portfolios and sort of let them work and, you know, really, really pay attention to fees because that is the driver. So we're just, you know, I like to say we're the field sales force for Vanguard and BlackRock index funds, because that's another part of this conversation that, you know, when we build portfolios, we have a very specific low cost um, and, and effective solution. So at the same time, your question, what I really care is what would a potential clients think of this or even current clients. And that's a really long conversation. I really like the idea of the psychology behind this subject, but it's a little frustrating because I, I believe, I use the term deprogramming, I think clients and investors need to be deprogrammed about fees. And it's such a powerful sort of uh, message that Wall Street has sent over the years that, hey, you need us don't even worry about the fee. We provide this value, and and yet it's really, you know, consistently they don't they don't show how they measure the fee, the value for the fee. In any event, clients think they're getting it. <laughs> so that's a that's really a case by case basis. Most people I run across will absolutely get it. They they know that Wall Street is somehow taking advantage of them. They don't, you know, these are really really smart, hardworking people, and when they look at their portfolios. They just scratch their heads. They don't understand kind of what they're paying, and not even about what they're getting for it. They don't understand what they're paying. So a lot of what I do when I meet someone is, is the forensics on, okay, hey, here's where the fees are. You can decide whether you, you think it's worth it, but at least understand what that number is. Uh, I see how investors still are confused about the subject that, well, it's only 1%. So why? Well, that's not that big of a deal. And I say, well, that's like saying you're, it's only $9 for the gallon of gas, which, you know, you could pay four fifty or whatever it is in New York. I don't know what it is right now, but so there's a lot of that psychology that I dive into. And at the end of the day, it, it's probably a question that I can't answer because it's such a unique story for each person, how they relate to fees and how they relate to the money that they spend for whatever they're spending it on. So when you first started this firm, did you have doubts that you were going to actually be able to run a firm and maintain it at these fee levels? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're talking about going from uh, the, you know, I, I, I have skin in the game. I'm, I had to give money, basically give those fees back year one, day one. I couldn't scale out of what I was making with Merrill Lynch and, you know, in the wirehouse world. 
even though I was only getting, you know, 40%, let's say, or somewhere in that range of total revenue. And then, you know, really spent a couple of years where it was lean, you know, got, so we've grown from about 35 million to about 60 million in the last few years. And again, doing the math on that, you can see where, you know, especially having kids in college and all that stuff, I had to have this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset of sort of owning, owning the, the revenue that came along with the story rather than, you know, just, um, jumping into the, the model we have now. And even now at, at my revenue level, you know, there's still work to do. What do you do if the world blows up and 75% of your clients are calling saying, I get me out of everything that's in ESG sin stock. I read this article in the Wall Street Journal, and then everyone calls, the all 40 of your clients call, get me out of all this stuff, right? Like, how do you? So, so the great, great question, and I think what, what I'd want to clarify is when, when you know, ultimately what we're doing is building and managing portfolios for clients, right? And so part of the story here is about having uh, a sensible portfolio approach and, and specifically with us, what we're doing is just building index fund portfolios and taking a full efficient market approach to investment management. So what does that mean? That just means that, so I say, well, hey, we, we set up, our job is to understand risk profile uh, for each client and set up appropriate port, low cost index fund portfolios, diversified portfolios for them, and then essentially get out of the way. I mean, this is part of my philosophy as advisors are way too involved in active management on, on a lot of levels to justify their fees and having simple sort of, you know, simple portfolios and using a light touch on those portfolios. So rebalancing, tax selling for sure. Uh, and again, 95% of what really we're mandated to do as far as I'm concerned is risk management. You know, you can have 30% stocks or 70% stocks based on appropriate profiling and understanding of where that client is when they come on board and over time, you know, tying it to goals and all that. Very traditional sort of middle of the road financial planning and investment management, but then using these, these index fund portfolios, not individual stocks. So I'm not trying to get alpha. I don't believe in alpha. Um, so there's, there's an ease of use on the investment management side that's already being done everywhere. And I see that where the growth and where the real sort of brain power is in the industry, as far as I'm concerned, is in looking at these subjects, which is understand the fee, lower the fee, and then run really profitable practices around that. And, and so, you know, I get it. I, I think it looks difficult, but I actually, you know, from the outside, and I've talked to you about, you know, how it has been in early on, but once you're up and running, um, you know, it's, it's what you, to your question, servicing it and, and making sure that, you know, if, if everyone needs me, and lately it's been that environment, you know, with with investment returns in the last month or two, I've gotten a lot more inbound calls, a lot more concerns about actual portfolio returns, and I've addressed them, but that's never going away. That's our job. Um, you know, you, I think you can build a practice, no matter what you're doing, as long as you keep an eye on the client advisor ratio, you should be able to manage that under any business setup. And, and we're doing fine. Well, hold on. I'm sorry, Paul. What do you think is ideal for the client advisor ratio? It's great. I, I actually think it's probably 75 to 100 maximum per, per advisor. I think, 
you start running into 75, 80 individual families that you're working with, um, my personal view is that you are going to start to water down your service and the quality of the of the results when it comes to being able to connect with the clients. Now, that's a different standard than maybe, hey, we just run your portfolio. And I just wanted to make one more comment about back to you know what what I'm doing with with the investment portfolios is no different than what you know Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch and all the RIAs are using automated Vanguard and BlackRock portfolios, hitting a button, you know, and then charging one and a half percent to do that. That's going on everywhere. Everyone's embracing this sort of index fund and passive investing story in a way that makes it no different from a servicing standpoint than what we're doing. Um, but they're just being, they're doing it with, you know, per advisor, maybe three, two to 300 clients. I mean, I know them, I know the people that, you know, have been running books with several hundred clients and they just, in my view, can't provide, especially when clients really, really need it. I don't think they can provide the quality of service that the clients are paying for, frankly. I just would be curious because I've seen firms with this amount of assets and they've got like five times the amount of people. They've got like four or five people working for them. And then it's just you basically and, and some extras. So like what, I mean, I think it has to do with the person's personality. Mm -hmm. I think it has to do with the advisor's personality because I see firms that they've got 60 million and they've got five advisors working for them. And they're, I, I know, I mean, are they like, char they're charging more, but they're creating work? I mean, I, I'm not sure. I think, I guess I could speak to the idea that I, I do, you know, part of what I really enjoy and I've always enjoyed about what, what I do is getting to know my clients and really working with them up front on what's unique about their situation. And for me to outsource that even internally just doesn't make any sense to me. So now that is something that is, it's sort of what the industry is all about. How do you scale? How do you, you know, be more efficient so that you can be more profitable rather than, and I don't want to, you know, get on my high horse, but rather than really diving in and really getting to know your clients early on. And when you do that, uh, especially when they're making that decision to come on board. They're not looking. I learned this very early on, a quick story. I remember one of the biggest prospects, prospective clients I had early on in my business went to Fidelity, was sitting down with me, was referred in, she was referred in, she went to Fidelity and she came to me and I was just me. And she said, oh, well, I'm meeting with this team at Fidelity. And of course I'm all self-conscious. Like I don't have a team and you know, I'm going to lose this business. And she came on board and she said, you know, when I sat down with them and I, it was about a $900,000 account, which is huge at that time. And she said, when I showed them the number, they said, oh, we're going to give you to this other team. And then they're going to run it out of New York. And then we're going to have this. And they just confused her. And they made her think that the person in front of her wasn't the one she was dealing with. And a light went off. I'm like, they actually are hiring me. They're not hiring a team. They're not hiring really an admin or a support person. Most clients don't really even don't. I mean, there's some exceptions, of course, family offices and very complex, you know, you start to get into 10, $20 million, you know, but I have a $13 million client that I've had for years and he only deals with me. He would not want to deal with anybody else. And so I think it's unique to each person for sure. But I also think it's something in the industry that is completely misunderstood. The clients don't want 
they don't want three or four people for the most part behind the scenes. They want me or they want you. And if, if they're hiring you in a sense, like nine times out of 10. And so I thought about this a lot and, and I'm still very comfortable. If I were training a junior advisor, I would give them the, that message and that confidence that that's really what's happening at the point of sale essentially. But then if you reinforce that early on and just give them good service over time, you know, Derek, another sort of my mentor, Derek Tinnan in some ways, we talked recently and he said his number one priority over and above everything is returning calls right away. He said, client calls me, it's something's on their mind. I need to help them. And he, he will, and even if it's a minor point and it's such a simple a simple thing to, to, to do. And to I agree. Of, yep. You know, and it's, and it's so powerful though, because, and he helped me think through even now this far in my career that our clients are so busy. If they're calling us, it's important to them, get back to them right away. And it might be just like, yeah, hell yeah. Your IRA contribution came in or something, but so anyway, back to your question. Or, I you think- know, so I just want to say one thing. I am a good responder. I'm known for being a good responder like a quick responder. Okay. But I can't always answer the question because sometimes people do ask a philosophical question. Like, do you think this is the right thing to be writing a blog about? You know, some people will say, well, email me a quick question. Like, did you download the LinkedIn backup or something? Yes, I did. Or no, I didn't. I'm going to do it later. But then sometimes they'll have a philosophical question. And if I can't answer it at the moment, or they'll ask me something and I don't have the information and I can't get it. I'll say, I will respond to this inquiry by this time. I'm running to a meeting, but they know it's me. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I almost feel, Paul, it's, it's an interesting question. I feel like people would rather hear from you just to hear your voice yeah, and know that you know about it rather than hear from an associate. Yes. I, nine, I would say nine times out of 10. Right. And so I agree with that's interesting. So, yeah, because there's this whole thing, though, that a traditional I think like the Wall Street, the traditional men, mindset is the bigger, the better. Mm-hmm. You need to show bench strength. Yeah. But right. I, I myself being a solopreneur, I actually don't think that that's true. Right. And, and, and the beautiful part about that is what I've learned. And I say originally, and I bet my competition might say, well, that's fine for you, but not our clients, because our clients are more sophisticated and need that sort of, you know, more complex solution. And I would completely challenge that because of the real life conversations I've had with my clients that do fall into that, you know, everyone would want them category, high net worth and lots going on. And they, it doesn't change for them. Once you get to know them, they really, I think they really appreciate the, the interaction and it's just not that much more time. It just, so there, there, but, but that said, you know, I think when we start to scale or get bigger, I again, hate that word scaling, but as we start to add and really reach out and help more, more clients, I'm not nervous, but I, I, you know, once we get into that sort of having more staff and growing the business the way I think we can, I'll readdress. I'll readdress it, but I'll never. I'll never not have this this approach that they're hiring us, hiring the individual broker, individual individual advisor, broker back in the day, and that we need to be, you know, really sort of, you know, it's humbling in a way. But you also need to be super confident that yeah, they're they're looking to us for 
important advice and they don't want to hear it from someone else almost all of the time. So whether it's about the markets or about a wire that's going out or something else, it, you know, for the most part, they're going to want to talk to me about it. So, you know, what, what we're kind of getting into here is like, what is it that clients are looking for from a service standpoint? If you send the message that you're an active manager and that you have some secret sauce about performance and trading the market, you know, that's going to create a very complicated and risky service model in my, in my opinion, because when you don't meet those expectations from a performance standpoint, clients are going to want to be on the phone with you and they'll be calling you, calling you. We have very, you know, again, simple and incredibly effective investment solutions that, that don't need that level of, of service. And most of what we do, you know, part, I, I would say, in, in a way, we're sort of caretakers for client portfolios, wealth pre wealth preservers. We're also sort of clerical admin type people as well. You know, we want to make sure that uh, so I have some clients that do write checks out of their accounts. Just make sure cash is available, you know, if that individual client needs it. So there is that um, sort of unique client need that we we make sure we, we try to address. But if you get ahead of it, you know, I mean, you use technology and you kind of make sure that you're organized and generally you can avoid being swamped. I mean, the the lean infrastructure firms that I know where there's a financial advisor and maybe some administrative support, they actually don't seem more stressed out than the RA firm, the advisor that has four people working for him or her. Right. Like those people seem equal. In, in fact, it, they seem at times more stressed out than these solopreneurs that are running big books. And I think it's because the more people, the more variables, the more, I mean, then you need to have an office, then you need to organize everybody. And a lot of people aren't great managers. Right. So I could see where this kind of streamlined, clear approach could, could really be successful versus a firm that maybe is a little bit more chaotic with more going on and more people. And you know, most, I have a lot of colleagues and peers that I've known over the years, and they range from, uh, you know, the, the former Merrow guys that are still there to people that are doing what I'm doing and across the board. No one's doing this at the fee level that I hang out with, let's say. Um, they're all stressed out about two things. They're playing defense about their fees. You know, I'm, I'm sort of the, you know, there's the fox and the hedgehog. I'm, I'm the hedgehog, right? I know one thing. It is about fees. It is about fees. And that's it. And and what's happening is from a workload standpoint, they are they're, they're responding to the questions that I'm telling my prospect to ask them. So they're doing reporting, justifying their fees, sort of doing the dance, whatever they're doing back. And and to me, that's un, that's wasteful, right? It's sort of they're answering questions that instead of saying we'll lower the fee because that's the right thing to do, they're saying no. I mean. I'm, $30,000, $40,000 a year for what? A bunch of index fund portfolios and a $3 million account. I see it all the time. So they're preparing for those questions in the down market. It's it's a huge time sink as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's not productive for clients because they're justifying that model. Whereas I never have to do that. I never have to justify our fee. So it's sort of, Okay, take that off the table. Then what are we doing? We do have to provide value. Absolutely. We do have to kind of toggle back and forth between financial planning and investment management and do the work. But no one's ever coming to me and saying, you know, boy, this is why am I paying so much? <laughs> and so 
you know, that's kind of the point of this call here, but it also does get into, you know, where's the waste in the industry? To me, this the part of the sad part is that it also takes younger advisors and makes marketing so much harder. It's just, they're fighting and scratching for, you know, million dollar accounts trying to charge 15 grand because their manager tells them to go do that, where they could just do what I'm doing and they'd never have to worry about marketing. I never think about where our next client's coming from. Don't, I mean, I probably should market more, but I don't worry about it. I know they're getting referrals and I tell the story and people are like, yeah, that sounds great. And, you know, it's not where do I sign? I still have to do the work, but so back to, you know, the subject, okay, where, where are we spending our time? It's not on that. It's not on justifying, you know, sort of these, these complex and mysterious portfolios that, Every advisor out there, I mean, I've one right now I'm working on. It's 11 accounts, <laughs> it's 11 accounts over $2.4 million. They're paying and I'm, and I'm digging into the fees and there's layers and layers of fees under what's obvious that is sort of mind blowing. But that, you know, that complexity actually in, in a way makes it harder for me to get the relationship. Um, and it certainly makes them makes it a little stickier on their end uh, than the advisor's end. Anyway, so I think it's just a, a something that the industry probably has to focus on more than we do, which is just having these extra meetings that take a lot of time. And and um, yeah, so maybe that's part of why our workload's a lot uh, more you know manageable, I guess. So, all right, I think I'm going to wrap it up here, Paul. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for having me, Sarah. I know this is. Been a, you know, you've been doing a, an amazing job getting the word out about alternative uh, fee structures and, and really supporting the change in the industry. So I, I just want to say thank you for doing all of that. It's been it's been fun to watch. And I really think the next few years are going to be just, you know, great for for growth, not not just in low fee area, but for anyone who is serious about changing the industry for, you know, for the better. And so thank you for being like a leader and in that whole area. It's been and it's really been a pleasure to talk and thanks for having me on. Yeah, Paul, you're welcome. So I, Paul's just referring to my transparent advisor movement. So if you're a flat fee advisor, a low fee advisor, advice only, hourly planner, or if you're just really, really transparent in how you do business, go ahead and just click the link. It's going to be in the notes to this podcast. We have monthly meetups. They're virtual. We are having an in-person conference in March, 2024 the first one ever for flat fee advice only planners. So, all right. So Paul, thank you. And um, I guess if someone wants to reach you, it's just middle street capital on the internet. Yeah. Uh, it's Paul at middlestreetcapital.com as uh, a way to email me. I am an open book. Anybody who wants to reach out for any reason, I'm happy to, you know, help or tell my story. Uh, I I'm particularly interested in any, uh, anyone out there that's looking to, to sort of transition their, their practice to something that they, you know, feel is, is the best model for their clients. And that includes low fees. So if they're curious about how I did it and, and, and need some just general advice, I'm happy to help anyone who reaches out. So please let them know that. And we're all in this together. So. All right. Okay. Everybody. Thank thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe and review this podcast. Just a reminder that nothing in this podcast can be interpreted as a product insurance or investment recommendation of any sort. Nothing in this podcast can be interpreted as legal or compliance advice.
for any recommendations specific to your or your client's personal situations, please consult a consultant, advisor, or attorney.